there are a lot of people who would rather not store things, even in a in a very reputable institution like Brinks. There is wisdom in the statement that if you don't own it, own it physically uh, or possess it, you don't own it. Now, that's really not true. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics as we pick up our coverage following Labor Day. Hope everybody had a great holiday weekend, got a little bit of a breather in there. And of course, the silver market keeps on going, as will we. So joining me once again for our Tuesday physical silver market update is Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin. And Andy, I uh, hope you had a good weekend as well. Nice to have you back. And how's everything going today? On good, brother. Yeah, these three-day weekends, I, I'm actually going to, if I were running for president, that would be my primary platform that we transition to three-day weekends. It's it's nice having that extra day. You wake up Saturday morning and think you, you know, you got to start preparing for tomorrow being Monday, and then you're like, oh, wait, there's still two more days. So never long enough, but always good to see your face, brother, and uh, good to be back again. Well, good to have you here. And as we start off the week, silver down a little bit today, a quarter on the Kitco chart, which brings us back just roughly to about even on the year, certainly an eventful year it's been, banking issues, everyone waiting for the Fed to see when they are finished hiking has not happened. Well, it may have happened so far. We'll we'll find out a little bit more in just a couple of weeks at the Fed's latest meeting. But to uh, start things off, would like to get an update as we cover each week on what's going on with the premiums and how customers are reacting to the latest developments in silver right now. You know, look, uh, it's interesting. The the price, really, I think people have, the people who are actively in this market understand what's going on with the price. They understand that it is being done to maintain an illusion of strength and stability in a currency that is fractured and fragmented and and starting to lose share of its of its global dominance um, and i think the price is less of a of a hindrance in terms of its um, counterintuitive action or its non-performance yet i think people are understanding even if it frustrates them that deep down this is a good thing this is a subsidy you don't walk into Nordstrom's and those that are still open that aren't being closed because of theft, but you walk into one and, and the pair of jeans you want are, are on sale. You don't say crap, you know, I wish I could pay full price. Now that's a clever way of saying it. I'm not trying to be, but what I'm saying is that the people have greater understanding now, now largely in part to things that you say and the reinforcement of the broader fundamentals that people understand. So Look, I know people would like to see prices moving much higher. We always say, be careful what you wish for. And the longer they're able to maintain the illusion of status quo, uh, the better value it is. And I guess you just have to ask yourself if if you're frustrated by the lack of price performance, would you rather have everything falling apart and things really getting interesting on multiple levels, geopolitical and political and social and all of the things that would impact our lives with a higher price in silver, you know, tailing along, that's going to come, but let's not rush it. I think the fundamentals are so strong right now that before we know it, those types of prices will be evident 
but I'm more concerned about what comes along with it. But hey, look, you know, gold just hit its all, or I believe it's all time high in, um, in China and Japan uh, just on Friday. So, or maybe even on Monday, it was just the other day, I just read an article that, you know, it's rising in other currencies. The dollar strength is blinding the reality that gold and silver are performing really, really, really well in other currencies. So give it time. And as the dollar starts to lose its its share of, of settlement transactions in energy, I think ultimately it will start to erode its its reserve status. And then we will start to see gold and silver take off the way that we have always anticipated. And um, just have to hang on, I guess, and trust your gut. That makes sense. And as I pulled up a moment ago, dollar index up 60 cents today. So perhaps you could expect gold and silver to be down even a little bit more than they are. But um, again, has that been reflected in premiums? Or are we still basically at the same levels of the last couple of weeks or any changes there? You know, the U.S. Mint, it's really interesting, uh, Chris, that we talked about the premiums on the U.S. Mint. The coin is starting to climb up a bit. You know, I, I mentioned when I was on with Bix the other day, I told him the two most influential interviews I've ever heard in this industry were first yours with Bart Chilton and second his with uh, Jack, Jack Sorry. something. What's that? I believe it was Jack Sermon. Yeah, the guy that developed the Silver Eagles for the U.S. Mint. To me, those were the two most illuminating and I say that seriously. I say that on all the podcasts I'm on. I, I say that your interview with Bar Chilton changed the way that I look at this world in terms of this uh, gold and silver world. And and what, what Jack said certainly blew me away to the nth degree. I think both are required listening if you are invested in metals. And so, you know, they made over 3 million eagles in the month of August. And that's three times what they've been making, yet still below what they have the capacity to make. I think they got uh, so uh, lambasted, including Representative Mooney from uh, West Virginia, I believe, sent them a letter saying, what the hell are you guys doing? So uh, interesting times. The premiums have, I think, bottomed. They've, they've plateaued. They're not going down further. The Eagles have started to inch back up. The Mint pumped out $3 million. They came down a bit. I guess you'd say we're in a holding pattern right now. And that, to me, is the most befuddling thing of all. And I'm not, I'm not you know, I, 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 try to be, um, I try to be objective in the way that I look at things. I try to look at things the way that uh, other people would look at things. And I guess the truth of the matter is that, Chris, we're still the minority in this in this uh, ecosystem of finances, we are still the minority. And until the public wakes up and realizes the importance of protecting themselves with something like a hard asset, like precious metals, the way that the, the central banks are doing, um, then I think it's going to be it's going to be frustrating uh, in terms of watching these these developments, whether it be a higher price or seeing the premiums take off, they will again. And again, I'll say, I believe it will be the banks that light the fuse. I really do believe that. There will be bank failures and, and bail-ins that light the fuse. So it befuddles me that the premiums aren't rising, that the demand for physical, look, don't get me wrong, it's still, it's still strong. It's not like it was in 2017. It's still very, very strong. 
And we're on pace to have our biggest year ever. I never thought that would be possible after last year. But my point is it should be tenfold stronger based upon what I see in this economy and what I see on a broader macro perspective. So, no, premiums have not taken off yet. They've plateaued there. It's it's very uh, it's a very uh, consumer friendly market, both in price premium and also availability. And what are people going to? We try and touch on this every uh, month or so, but is is it still uh, silver dominant uh, or is gold picked up more share this year or what's the breakdown between gold and silver? looking like? It still is substantially more silver dominant. I don't have the exact numbers, but I will tell you that since March and April, there's been an awful lot of gold investment as well. And I, I attribute that to the instability in the banks where people are yanking out very, very large sums of money to protect themselves, to be their own bank. Um, and so in that environment, you know, you could have a hundred thousand bucks worth of gold right now, you know, in your two front pockets, you, you'd have roughly 50 ounces in each pocket. So, you know, you'd have some droopy pants, but point of it is you get up right now and run down the street to your car. If you had to a hundred grand in silvers, 250 pounds or more. So when you talk about logistics and someone pulling out, you know, mid six figures and saying, just send me whatever you can, I want out of the bank. It, it lent itself to more uh, logistic oriented trades as well. And look, I, I know this is a silver channel. I, I, if you look at every promotion I've done for almost three years, it's probably 99 and a half percent silver. I view it as the most undervalued asset, the, the, the value of a generation. I do, I do mean that honest to God. I wouldn't count out gold either. And I tell people that, you know, when you have a tier one asset, when you have an asset that is being accumulated by the banks in, in greater numbers than ever, ever, ever before um, over the last 18 months, there's a lot to be said for gold, even though silver is the most attractive play on the planet, put it all together, logistics come into play. And there are a lot of people who would rather not store things, even in a in a very reputable institution like Brinks, there is wisdom in the statement that if you don't own it, own it physically uh, or possess it, you don't own it. Now, that's really not true. But what is true is that gold and silver are assets that maintain no counterparty risk or are not someone's liability simultaneously with your ownership. So there is something to be said for that. And those people who want to take possession and have any semblance of being nimble, uh, well, I think they they would also add some gold into that equation. So pure value, silver takes the cake. Uh, but on very, very large purchases, it can become difficult if you don't want storage. And back to what you were saying there, that I'm glad you brought that up. The If you don't hold it, you don't own it. Obviously, a lot of people cite that phrase and I think there's credence to it, yet, I mean, also perhaps some limits where uh, how much gold or silver do you want to store in your safe at home? Um, what would you say about the risks of using storage? Is that something that you're concerned about? Um, again, I wonder if, you know, if you had uh, gold or silver stored in the Ukraine in a vault that was supposed to be safe then there, there are conditions that seem to be popping up more and more, which can change the equation a little bit. But what could you say about the risks of storage in general and perhaps any red flags to watch out for? I mean, I know what you just said was 
somewhat silly, but it's also incredibly true. I mean, you know, the unexpected happens. And I'm not saying that there wasn't trouble brewing in the Ukraine, and I don't know how long back it goes. I'm not a student of Eastern European uh, geopolitical events. But what I would say is that, um, you know, who would have ever thought that we would be in, you know, uh, blindsided by a pandemic if we were having this discussion over Thanksgiving in 2019. So unexpected happens, you know, shit happens. And so if you're going to store your metal, I would only work with a very reputable deal uh, or, or reputable institution like a Brinks, uh, who has a very big balance sheet, who's not going to abscond with your money unless they were told by a government edict that they had to give it up. Now, look, is that a possibility? Yeah, absolutely. And anyone who stores metal understands that or anyone asking that question understands that. But I think you you weigh your options, you you hope for the very, very best, you take every step you can to prepare for the worst. Um, and if you're not able to possess it, then you choose the best storage option available to you. Um, and, you know, people should also think about becoming, look, I, I make money in our storage program. I would tell people, absolutely store your metal personally, first and foremost, if you can, and get creative, go into your backyard with a shovel at two in the morning and become a midnight gardener and dig a hole if you have to. Um, but yeah, we live in a world, Chris, and this is gets back to what I was you know, really talking about earlier is why the premiums aren't going to the moon. I, we live in a world where, you know, I don't think anyone would be freaked out about anything anymore if it happens with all the talks of, you know, these these uh, flying saucers that Congress and and was was having meetings about and and the fact that the U.S. government's tight-lipped. I mean, if all of a sudden a bunch of flying saucers landed on on the Capitol in Washington D.C., I don't think people would be too surprised. Now I'm saying this tongue in cheek, but what what I'm saying is that we live in a world where things are just upside down and bizarro world it seems. So yeah, I think you're best if you can hold it yourself and remove any and all counterparty risk. I truthfully think you do have a better chance of being ripped off by the system than you do a would-be burglar in your home. With all of that being said, I have profound respect and admiration for Brinks. I've worked with them for 15 years and never raised my voice and never saw an ounce out of place. So in a world of imperfect choices, I like it as good as any, but yeah, I mean, your mind's eye can wander as far as it needs to, to, de to determine what the risks would be outside of the insurance policy, guaranteeing replacement value for theft and fire and flood and all of those things. But, you know, act of God or nuclear war, God forbid, you know, coo, coo, coo. who knows anymore, brother. So you, you hold it yourself. And if that's not an option, then we have a good one for you. But, uh, your question is one that has no answer. All right. And actually, if we did have UFOs flying around the White House, would not be the first time, as there actually is that interesting 1952 data point where there were a series of unidentified flying objects reported in Washington, although we'll leave that aside. Um, but in terms of the storage, though, something I've thought makes a lot of sense is perhaps some diversification of storage, depending upon the the amount of metal you have and perhaps using a couple of different vaults rather than placing everything in one. Is that something that makes sense as well? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, we have a storage program in Canada that I used to be much more enthusiastic about telling people about before Trudeau usurped the rule of law and due process. Now, that has nothing to do with our program, but certainly he put a stain on on the way the government um, goes about their business in terms of Canada. I still have a lot of my own metal up in various locations up in Canada and some here in the United States also. But yeah, diverse, diversity in location is a good idea. There was a time when I believe very strongly in the fact that having metal in another jurisdiction like Switzerland or Canada made sense. But even that is becoming you know, questionable in terms of the way that laws are being drawn up, the way that uh, potentially a central bank digital currency. I mean, there, there are things that are happening that will make it all but impossible to, you know, you may be able to stay in one location, but when you try to come out is when you're caught, whether it be cryptocurrencies or trying to hold things in a, in a, in a private location, thinking you're safe from the system. Well, you know, how safe are you from the system? So I think diversity is good in general. I think that keeping it at home and hiding it, you know, in locations that you control is great. But if you have to store, we've given a lot of thought into our storage program and there, there's great flexibility. There are a lot of things that no one can compete with in terms of the way that we that we've negotiated a fixed rate with Brinks and, and safe deposit box program with Brinks, things that no one else has, we're very proud of. I still come back to the fact that if you were able to possess it yourself, you're one leg up. But I wouldn't lose sleep over metal held in a storage facility. Being the owner of a company like I am, I can't really hold my gold and silver, obviously, especially one who's who, who's done 1,200 YouTube videos in, in, in four years. And so I, you know, I have no choice but to use storage facilities. So I am hoping for the best. I prepared for the worst, the best I can through diversity of location and whatnot. But here again, you know, we can only play within the confines of the game that we find ourselves in. And if you have no choice but to utilize storage, I think we got a great program for you. But always hold it your first before you do anything like that. Already makes sense. And Andy, one other thing we didn't uh, touch on this last week, actually, we had those d deliveries in into the registered pile from JP Morgan's vault. So we did not touch on this, but had a couple of requests to get your thoughts on the BRICS meeting following now two weeks ago. Um, but following that meeting, any thoughts you had on what came out of that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 a very, very, very relevant discussion, even though nothing earth shattering happened. You know, when you bring in countries like Saudi Arabia, Iran, and the United Arab Emirates, you, you're, you're talking massive major oil producers. When you bring in Argentina, you have a major agricultural producer. And actually, most people don't know this, but they're the largest natural gas producer in South America. And when you bring in Ethiopia, you have the fastest growing economy in Africa. Most of the African countries want to join up with the uh, BRICS facility. So um, when you talk about the um, uh, the size and the size and the scope of this, you have 30% of global GDP, and that will be as of the 1124 when these countries come in. It'll you'll have 46% of the world's population and 43% of the world's oil production, and so. You know, not to mention 75% of these rare earth metals like manganese and 50% of graphite and 28% of nickel and 10% of copper. 
you know, it's a big deal. You have 23 countries that have formally submitted their, their application for BRICS two. You have 22 or three countries that have expressed interest in it as well. These are massive, massive events that, you know, I don't think people are, are really thinking about when they talk about it really being a nothing burger, what came out of uh, the, the meeting. They were expecting the price of gold to explode. They didn't issue a gold-backed settlement currency, but they came back and tasked their financial uh, uh, advisor, or not the financial advisor, the financial ministers of these countries to do their due diligence and come back next year and bring their findings. What I also found to be recently very relevant is that, you know, you have, you look at Iran and Iran has now become a full member of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and the BRICS in a, in a span of one year. This is massive, right? This is the sanctions that we impose upon Iran are going to be meaningless. And when you have Iran now really being involved with this massive growing union, you can see, you can really see how the rallying cry against the Western hegemony and sanctions and, and their coercion is, is changing to an environment that settles around cooperation and expansion. And um, it's not a good thing as far as I'm concerned. You look at Saudi Arabia, their oil exports have fallen to a six-year low, as has their treasury holdings, which they've been selling and, and dumping. Uh, it's it's not a good thing. It's, it's little by little by little by little by little and then all at once. One last thing I'd like to talk about regarding, uh, two things actually, regarding the BRICS, is that Belarus is now proposing to hold a joint summit between the Eurasian Economic Union and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Now, I have talked about this forever, these two groups. The Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which Saudi Arabia has applied to and Iran has been admitted to, is the largest regional financial and military organization in the world. And uh, the symmetry between these two groups and the BRICS nations and the Belt Road is uncanny. There's membership going through all of them and the, the meeting, the proposed meeting, is to discuss the convergence of, of these organizations and how they can meld into BRICS. It's coming. You're seeing a, a larger and growing expansion of, of not only human population, but the utility and their GDP and all of their commodities and their military might. And all of these things are coming together. One last piece I'd like to talk about regarding the BRICS. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, well, China and India don't like each other. Well, I'm going to read you one thing here. Chinese President Xi Jinping and Indian Prime Minister Modi agreed last week to seek a resolution to years of tensions along the Himalayan border area. So, in fact, they are now, they're agreed to a direct to direct the relevant officials to intensify efforts at expeditious disengagement and de-escalation. So these countries are choosing sides. And I think it's really important to understand that this is something that is a trend in motion and it's not good for the dollar. And um, people have become accustomed to instant gratification. Typically it's not quick enough, but this is something that I think needs to be firmly in everyone's, uh, in everyone's on everyone's radar. It's only gonna get crazier from here as far as I'm concerned. Well, we'll certainly keep an eye on that and uh, appreciate your thoughts following the BRICS meeting and 
was some substantial new additions, even if there was no gold settlement currency announced and uh, which I don't think means that it's not being worked on. Um, and we've certainly heard a lot of comment from Russia commentary from Russia on that topic, which see how it plays out going forward. And Andy, just in wrapping up, uh, is there anything on special for people who are in the market or looking for silver at this point? Yeah, we have both silver and gold. We have the 2023 one-tenth ounce gold Eagle at $37.50 over its melt value. <clears throat> you take the price of gold, divide by 10, add $37.50. And we have the um, Valcambi Kilo Silver Bar at $1.99 over melt value per ounce. Um, they're 32.15 ounces. They are amazing bars. They come with certificates of authenticity that match the number stamped on the bar. And they come in boxes of 15 if you're so inclined to buy a mint box. But great value and great utility in the gold, great value in the silver. And uh, crazy times, Chris. I think there's going to be a lot to talk about every week. I truly, truly do. And, and next week, we need to do this together in person and um, look forward to picking up where we left off. Well, appreciate that. And if people have questions about anything that we talked about here today or want to find out more about those specials, Arcadia at milesfranklin.com. And Andy, thank you as always for joining us this week and look forward to doing it again next week. Great to see you, Chris. I do as well. Talk to you soon.